My friends at the Resilience Think Tank have a series of articles called What Resilience Means to Me. For some, resilience is operational or organizational, but for others, it's deeply personal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today we get personal. My guest is Tracy Powell. Tracy is the founder of a women's counseling and trauma recovery center called The Rebuilt Woman. Tracy is a survivor of childhood sexual and emotional abuse, and today she is dedicated to providing help to lead her patients to true, lasting healing. We're going to talk about everything from overcoming trauma to how to reconnect with yourself and those closest to you. And we'll get into it right after this from Clear Risk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. Before we get too far into it, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, first, thank you for the welcome. Uh, My name is Tracy Powell. I am a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner who lives outside of Orlando, Florida. A little bit about me. Well, I am originally from New Jersey, relocated in 2008 came down here with my two kids and decided to make a whole new life. Um, been a nurse for over 30 years, did a lot of time in the NICU and became a neonatal nurse practitioner. And then through experiences at work and in my own personal life, about uh, three and a half years ago, I went back to school and got my mental health nurse practitioner and left the NICU ultimately about a year ago. And now have a practice where I work with adults who have experienced childhood trauma and help them recover themselves so that they can get back to who they genuinely and authentically are free of the abuse so that they can live their best lives and find joy and peace. And that's what we want to talk about today. And we're going to focus on personal resilience. And and we're going to talk about that word a little bit later. Um, But this help that you offer comes from your own experiences. And the backdrop of our conversation here is childhood sexual and emotional abuse. And out of respect for you, and you know, I respect you so much. We're not going to get into those details. There's no need to, but it is fair to say that it was extreme and repetitive and traumatic, but Mm -hmm. it took a long time, didn't it? To kind of to kind of settle in. You you described that when you were 46, you said events in your life created the perfect storm that caused your lifelong complex PTSD to become completely unmanageable. Talk about what you went through. Well, I had lived this adult life that was a state of constant going and doing and proving and being. And so I was in school repeatedly, like, you know, like I just said, I'm a dual certified nurse practitioner. So I became a nurse and then I got my bachelor's and my master's and my second certification. And I became 
you know, one of the star nurses in the hospital. And I was the go-to girl for everyone. And I had two kids on my own. I chose to be a single mom. So I had used a donor to have my kids. And um, I was their room mom. And I was doing all these amazing things. Everybody looked at my life and said, wow, you've built this amazing life and you're so brave. And mm-hmm. it just was all BS to me. Because inside I was like, I knew something wasn't right. Like everybody doesn't build this kind of life. Usually you have a relationship, you get married, you have kids and you live life. And um, I had always been aware, like I just didn't do well in relationships. Men and I, if they were nice to me, I ran. If they were mean to me, I stayed. Didn't seem to make sense. And I had had a lot of memories of being molested uh, by my brother. And so I thought, okay, that's really affected me. And so I just kind of embraced the single life. But when I was in my mid forties, I met someone that I was dating that I cared very much about and was extremely kind to me. And in my brain, that didn't work. It just didn't compute. And this is a, it's crazy really how this all unfolded because then the movie Frozen came out. And I don't know if you're familiar with Frozen, but the story of Frozen basically is this little blonde girl who has this deep secret who her parents said, lock the secret away, conceal, don't feel, and be the perfect girl. And I realized through watching that movie, that was my whole life. Wow. And so I'm in this relationship with this guy that I really care about and I want to have a future with, but the inside of me says, nope, you're horrible, you're awful, you don't deserve this. I see this movie that I'm so relating to this cartoon character and what she's experiencing. And I had taken a trip back up north that when I came back down, I just couldn't shake this feeling of depression that I had, which up to that point, I didn't think I ever had any depression. And um, my kids had wanted to go to Comic-Con in Tampa. And so I was driving them down and we had to stop on the way I got out of the car to get something from the store. When I got back in the car, they had put on a 1970s rock station. And as soon as I got in the car and I heard the band Kiss playing, I had my first panic attack. Didn't know where it came from. But it was, a, it was a band that was played in my house repeatedly when some really awful things were happening. Right. And so really that series of events caused my brain to finally say, you've done a good job of trying to hide this for a long time, but it's time to deal with it. And so panic attacks, depression, all that happened because I still wanted to try to hide it. And I was alone with it for a while. It's interesting. You know, they say that... Um... Smells and sounds can be often the most um, significant triggers to to memories and emotions, right? Yeah, because the reality is it's all in our subconscious. 99.6% of what we do is in our subconscious. And, you know, if you think about things on a daily basis, sometimes you'll do something you're like, why did I do that? But your subconscious knows why you did it. And so my subconscious was holding all of that stuff. And it remembered Kiss and it remembered the things of the 70s that I had like gotten up into my intellectual cognitive brain and said, no, I'm putting all that aside because I need to build this life. Hmm. But eventually it's got to be dealt with. And you, you talked about panic attacks and you've mentioned flashbacks and eventually you had had enough and you attempted to end your life. Um, But thankfully that wasn't successful But what that did was it set you on the next part of your journey, right? To not only rebuild yourself, but to also impact others who are going through a similar journey. Right. Um, And so we talk a lot about resilience on this podcast, rebuilding, whether it's 
business uh, functions or getting you know a business back into operation or whatever that turns out to be. But sometimes we talk about it on a personal uh, uh, perspective as well. And that's where your journey is taking you right now, helping women rebuild themselves. So talk about the rebuilt woman and the services that you're offering. Well, so the reason it's called the rebuilt woman is when you live through childhood events that affect the way you see yourself. And to be clear, this isn't just about the extreme of what I went through, right? A lot of people think as a kid, well, I wasn't sexually molested. I wasn't beaten. So I'm okay. But there are two types of wounds of childhood. There are trauma wounds, which are those things, the things that happened to you that should have never happened. Abuse. But there are also what are called attachment wounds, which are the things that should have happened to you that didn't. Hmm. So if you grew up in a home, here's a perfect example of this. I just had this conversation last night with a woman who's having trouble with her husband. And she's like, you know, I don't understand what the issue is. His whole life, he's been the golden boy. Why would he have any problems? Everybody loved him. His parents loved him. The sun rose and settled him. He could do no wrong. Well, it looks good on the surface, but really what happened in that man's life is he was never seen because his parents' agenda was, you will be who we want you to be to make us look good. Mm. So the reason this guy's having all these, tra- he has no self-esteem because nowhere in his life was he taught how to be who he is. So there are different ways that issues of childhood show up in our life today. And they create parts of us, young parts that were in that. So like for him, his 10 year old self who wanted to be, um, he wanted to be in an academic program and his parents wanted him to play hockey. So at that point, the message is you aren't good enough as who you are. So parts of us get stuck in that. So part of me got stuck in my abuse and the feeling, you know, one of the things that I very vividly remember is being eight years old and being, I was abused by two people and one happened next door and being in that house. And it wasn't even about what he was doing. It was that I know my parents were next door and they weren't showing up for me. How about that? And so part of me learned I'm not worth being saved. And that was the wrong message. The right. truth was I had parents who didn't know how to even be concerned about what I was doing because they were dealing with their own stuff. So the rebuilt woman is about getting in touch with those parts and helping to rebuild them and tell them the truth of who they really are. So I help people come back to, you know, my soul was never meant to believe I wasn't worth anything, right? but I had to rebuild that and put myself back together with the truth and take away the lies that I had been living through for a long time. You you talked about how people think that you are this brave and strong. And I think uh, you use the phrase fiercely independent woman, but you Mm -hmm. didn't see yourself like that. How would you describe how you viewed your, your own self? I passionately hated myself, everything about me. I thought I was, I literally could see a flashing horse sign over my head. Like I just thought I had this fluorescent horse sign that everybody could see and knew that that's truly who I was. And you know, I could, couldn't take a compliment. I, you know, I am a queen at starting IVs on micro preemies, like one pound babies. Mm-hmm. And I would always be asked to come do it because it would save the baby and the family a lot of angst if you ask someone who really knows what they're doing. And everybody would be so grateful, but I would run out of the room. I couldn't tolerate anybody thanking me because even though like cognitively I knew I could do it, 
the part of me that felt like I was worthless didn't think I deserved to be thanked or anything because I just didn't buy any of it. Did that get worse the older you got or were, you know, was that sort of an instant onset kind of a thing? No, it was always there. That's why, you know, the fierce independence actually wasn't independence at all. It was anti-dependence. I wasn't building this life so I could take care of myself. I was building a life to protect myself from everyone around me because I didn't feel like I was worth asking anyone for help ever. When you were sort of right in the midst of this, um, our lives had intersected quite a bit. We were quite close at the time. I had no idea what was going on. Right. Is that typical? And how do you do that? How do you keep something so traumatic from people close to you? Or the other way to ask it is, how can I, as someone who was close to you, never have seen it? Well, because there's this amazing thing that's called dissociation, which is a gift when you're going through it. So dissociation means literally to disconnect. And so I learned to dissociate myself from the truth of what was happening so that I could show up in the world and look like someone who wasn't being hurt, right? So when I was talking to you or around other friends or in school, I showed up as Tracy, who was fine because that's right. who I needed to be so that I could just survive my life. Not to mention, you know, parts of it for me, especially when I was spending time with you was I just wanted to be in a normal situation and I didn't want it to be about the things I had lived through or had been dealing with. And so the bottom line is dissociation is what really got me through most of my life and why it took me to my forties to even deal with it. Cause I decided I got to separate through that from that part of me and just create this life. But the sad reality is when you live through those kinds of traumas and that kind of childhood, it does have a major impact and the dissociated parts, which are the parts that we talk about rebuilding need to heal and need to learn. They always were entitled to having a voice and that little girl that I wish should have had someone that she could turn to and felt safe to, but nothing felt safe at the time. Right. One of the things that, um, I was encouraged to do when planning this episode was to try to put some kind of a business perspective on it. And my attempt at that is this, the older I get, I become more aware that so many people around us, people we work with, people in business with us, colleagues, people in our network um, are carrying the weight of traumas past. And often they're doing it like you did, right? Silently and, and completely isolated. I'm sure there's somebody listening to you right now who's carrying a weight that they can't bear or are unwilling to, um, to come to terms with something that they know is, is kind of eating at them. There's something, as you said, a depression you didn't know you had. So, what would you say to them? Uh, what words of hope or encouragement can you offer to someone? Well, most importantly, I would say if you're aware of it and it is something that you live with on the daily, try to reach out because 
we don't know what we don't know. And one of my most favorite quotes in the world was by um, Carl Jung, who said, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Hmm. And for a lot of my life, I believed I had a genetic defect that said, you cannot have a normal relationship. I literally believe there was an issue with my DNA. Hmm. And it wasn't until I finally started in therapy and understood the impact of my childhood on my life that I was able to understand. I was not born. I was not a newborn baby in a crib, born unable to have good relationships. And I have many clients who will come into me and say, I was just born anxious. I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a depressed person. Again, when was the last newborn baby you saw in a nursery having a panic attack? Hmm. They're not doing it. Right. You know, it's, it's our life experiences. And so it's hard to conceptualize when you've never been there, that there actually is another side of this and that you can get to the other side and there can be peace and you can get back to your authentic self and live in your authenticity. If you had told me 10 years from now, I'd have a hard time getting it. But I, my life had gotten to where the option was either stay this miserable for the rest of my life or find a way past it. And, you know, unfortunately our brains are built to go toward what we know. So if what I know and I'm familiar with is feeling sad and feeling down and hating myself, that's where I'm comfortable and becomes my comfort zone, even though it's not a comfortable comfort zone. And one of the greatest challenges of my clients is having them step out of that comfort zone and consider life can actually be different. But the truth is we have it within us to make that change, but sometimes you need guidance from someone else to get there. So take the first step and, and sometimes that first step takes the most courage. Right. But you told me before we started recording that you've had an impact on people who have also considered suicide, mm -hmm. but because of your story, it turned out different to take a minute and, and tell that story. Well, you know, so we'll just talk about, you know, you were concerned about, you don't want to, you want to give this justice, right? This story. And right. my point of what I'm saying now is I am an open book because I held my secrets for 46 years and it ate me up and it resulted in me thinking my only way out was to end my life because I couldn't fathom telling anyone what happened to me. And, but because you sit alone with it, you have all these stories you tell yourself that really aren't true. So when I finally made it past my attempt and woke up to, well, I cannot die because of what other people did to me. And I'm going to get myself better to help other people not die because of what someone else did to them. Mm -hmm. um, I started speaking publicly about what happened to me and those I've had four different people come up to me after one of my talks and say, I had a plan. And, and one in particular was a nurse who two nights later, like she gave me her entire plan. She had set up for her two young daughters to go to their grandparents' house. Like and these two kids would have lost their mom. Wow. And I learned through this, that my spoken story gives permission to other people to be able to speak. So I don't stop talking now. <laughs> I've known you a long time. You've never had trouble talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm the, talking about this. <laughs> yeah. But now the message is good. You and I were talking again before the recording and I told you, I don't get nervous when I do these interviews, but I'm nervous for this because I respect you and I respect the, um, the message and it's serious and uh, it's nice to be able to, to smile with you and to be able to, to 
you know, to have a little fun with it too. Hey, we talked a minute ago about a message to someone who's struggling. I'm going to flip the script here a little bit. Well, can I make a comment about what you just said real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so important. And this is, you know, if you've got people out there who have been through trauma, childhood especially, and maybe even have been in therapy for years, we tend to get stuck in it and think, oh, it's this horrible. I'm never going to get beyond it. But we forget that we can have fun and be in our bodies today. And that's, you know, the goal with the people I work with is, yeah, this thing that happened happened years ago. But you've got to embrace the adult that you are today who needs to have fun, needs to have time away from it to step into. It's okay to live your life. If you're in a safe situation and you've built a life, it's okay to live it. Hmm. It's a process of balancing how do I heal the past while stepping in and being an active participant in my life today. Because that dissociation I talked about, the disconnection isn't just from the trauma. We disconnect from ourselves as well. And so when you get reconnected and sometimes unfortunately especially there are some mental health professionals that become afraid of the topic they're afraid they're going to push people over the edge yeah but the truth is my suicidality came from people being afraid to talk to me about it including professionals when i just needed someone to hold space for my story and say you can make it through this and i recognize there's a part of you that wants to die because she lived through some pretty awful shit yeah but we can help her heal and you don't have to feel that way because the adult me never wanted to die I love my kids. I didn't want to leave them. Right, right. That's a nice segue into this next question, which is for people like me, uh, those of us who, again, I think, you know, here I am again in this category of, you know, being blessed or privileged or whatever word you want to use, somebody who has never experienced anything like this, how can we help? How can we serve? What should we know? What would you say to us? The first thing I would say is to please recognize that you will not be able to understand what the person is going through. And that doesn't make you a flawed person. I mean, it's the equivalent of me trying to understand, like say what a diabetic goes through. I'm not diabetic, but I can have empathy for what they've gone through. And sometimes very well-meaning people will use a lot of the cliches. Well, at least it's over. Well, at least it wasn't worse. Well, at least you have a good life now. But the reality is this stuff sits inside a person and comments like that are actually shaming Mm. because the person already has a lot of shame. And then when you hear that, well, at least this, then that kind of says, well, you know, why don't you see it this way? Well, when you have broken parts of you, who genuinely believe that you're worthless, it's impossible sometimes to see things that way. And no amount of writing statements on a paper that you read 50 times a day is going to change that. If deep inside of you, you've got parts that believe I'm worthless. So the best support is just to say, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. Just be there to listen, give a hug. If a hug is okay with the person. And try to have understanding for what they're experiencing. And, you know, especially someone who lives with complex PTSD and PTSD, part of the challenge of it is when they're triggered, they're not in the moment. Mm. So trying to do things that will bring them into the moment without even saying, we've got to get you grounded in today. Like bring up a topic that has to do with 2022 to kind of help switch their brain back into, oh, I'm here and I'm safe and it's all good. Mm. Very interesting. You um, 
use the word worthless just then, and you described it earlier as to how you saw yourself, but you've gone through parts of the healing journey now. Um, and I'm wondering, well, how do you see yourself now? Like how has your own self view changed as a result of this? I am my most favorite person to be with now. I love that. I, it's just so funny. I, you know, I, if you had told me 10 years ago that I am the calm, easygoing, you know, I was, I was easygoing back then, but I didn't realize how I wasn't calm because I was so traumatized for so many years. I didn't realize that my really set point was constant electricity going through my veins. Hmm. And that's why I was in this constant state of, I got to go, go, go and do, 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 and never say no. And now I come from a place of authenticity where I check in with myself first and say, okay, you're asking me to do something. Do I genuinely want to do this? Is my no, no, because I genuinely don't want to do it. Is my yes, yes, because I authentically want to show up for the person that's asking me for something. And I just, I am me, which it took me a long time to say, I'm just me and I'm good with being me. Yeah, that's so healthy. I love that. That That's great. Now, before I let you go, I've got to get your take on this because you told me yesterday um, that you don't necessarily care for the word resilience. And I told you, Hey, I don't take that personally. It's only my podcast and you know what I do for a living. So don't worry about my feelings. (laughs) Not all worry. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me your feelings uh, about the word. Well, my feelings is resilience is extremely important right? It's important to teach it to kids. It's important to help people be able to transition through tough times in life. And Lord knows during these days, we all need some resilience in our lives because we're all being challenged constantly. But we have to be careful that resilience in and of itself does not become yet another shaming situation. And it has to a lot of degrees. You know, I'm a nurse practitioner. And as nurses, we often hear, you know, you got to be resilient, got to suck it up. And if you complain or raise concerns about things that are going on in the job, then you're not being resilient. So we have to be careful that we're not using it to try to tell people, you don't have a right to how you feel. You don't have a right to raise concerns and there's something wrong with you because you're not just sucking it up and moving through. You told me a story yesterday that it was the one about your daughter coming home from, from school with an assignment. And we talked about Mm -hmm. how that view of resilience might've played out there. Yeah. So, so this is right. It was a good example of resilience. She, my daughter is a nursing student and they're nearing the end of the semester. There's a lot of assignments due. She had her clinical day yesterday and she has had in her brain what she needs to do and when she needs to get it done. And it's a lot of work. And so she has settled herself with this plan for the next week. Well, as she was leaving clinical yesterday, her professor said to the class, oh, by the way, you also need to do a five page write up about your patients today, which the way they have to do it, it's, it's very, it's probably going to take her a good 10 hours to do it. Wow. Well, it put her over the edge because she's had in her head, here's how things are supposed to be. So she came home bawling and stressed out and worked up. And, but, you know, through talking a little bit and right, recognizing that really she will have the time to do it. Like she was able to get herself through it and realize ah, it's not so bad. I got this. I'm strong enough. I'm going to make it through. It's going to be okay. So that was her finding her resilience through the process of, okay, yeah, initially it hit me hard, but I do have the the abilities to make it through this and I can do it. And we, when we talked about it, what we said was 
being resilient doesn't mean that you don't have the meltdown and that you just roll with it and everything's good. Being resilient means, no, I had the meltdown and now I'm able to stand back up and do what I need to do to do it because I've, I've gone through it and I've, I've suffered it. And now I'm able to stand back up and pull myself, you know, back together and, and move on. Right. Yeah. All right. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, how can people reach you to learn more either about you or about the rebuilt woman? Um, I can reach me at Tracy, T-R-A-C-I at the rebuilt And even though I am called the rebuilt woman, I do work with men too. So, um, you know, questions, comments, feel free to email me. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. I get back as quickly as I can. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but um, I'll put all the links for all of this in the show notes too. Um, the time has flown by here. We've gone a little bit over, but I don't care. It's an important topic. Um, I appreciate you. I respect you. Thank you for what you're doing to help other people. Thanks for and, having me. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. It was fun. I want to say a huge thank you to Tracy Powell for being my guest today on The Resilient Journey. And let me say this to you. If you're struggling and you're dealing with something that is just uh, becoming too much of a burden to carry, reach out, ask for help. And if you don't know where to turn, ask for help for that too. Next week, we continue our conversation about personal resilience, this time from the employer's perspective and dealing with their responsibility in a post-trauma situation. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.